0: What a beautiful song. What a beautiful song. In grace alone. That's that's been our theme, really. Romans chapter eight, speaking of the grace of our God to us. When I think of those words that we just heard, and I think of uh my salvation, and probably as you think of your salvation it's probably a a fascinating and wonderful thing for us to start comparing our stories of how the Lord brought you to himself. Some of us have been down some pretty rough roads and he brought us to himself from difficult means. And some of us uh, were brought up to know him very early, maybe four or five years old. And and mom or dad or somebody led us to the Lord uh, There's all kinds of fascinating stories. And I wonder if heaven might just be full of testimony time. We're all comparing our stories of how the Lord saved us. Now, the picture that I just now presented to you is what we would see here on this side of of earth. We look at one another. We say, how did you come to know the Lord? And tell me your circumstances and such like that. When we go into Romans 8, understand you're getting this from God's perspective ...of how you became His. This is His view. And what's amazing is... ...all of us have the same story in Christ Jesus. We are saved by the blood of Christ. It was planned by our God. And that's what we're looking at in this passage. And if it's, if it's too big for us to understand... understand the source... ...God is telling this story. He's telling us what salvation... ...salvation looks like from His perspective... I am so thankful, as we started our service today, when we talk about a holy God who loves us, one who has given to us his grace. I am so thankful for that. And that's why I love this passage. It talks more and more about what he has done for us. The folks who listen to our um, our sermons that come to them on the internet, we post them every single week, and there are folks listening to it. They don't get to hear our choir We don't mic up the choir and put them on there, too. Uh, They just start where the sermon starts. So they have no idea how beautiful the song was this morning that we just heard. But they do understand God's grace. And so for that, we have a lot in common this morning. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse number 29. That's where we've been camping for a few weeks, and I think we're going to do it still longer. Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew... He also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. We're looking at three big words. The three big words in this text. We've talked about his foreknowledge. We've talked about predestined. And those are related concepts there. But now we're going to look at the word conformed. And eventually work our way down to uh, image as well. Maybe we'll get to image today. Maybe we won't. Maybe that will be next week.
1: But we are going
0: to certainly look at the heart of this verse. Conformed to the image of his son. What is that? We need to know it because it involves you. As a believer in Jesus Christ, this is what's happening to you. And you need to know it. So, Heavenly Father, as we open up your word today, we again come before you, the author of this book, and the author of our salvation, and our Savior Jesus Christ, who has accomplished it for us, and the Holy Spirit, who has applied it to our hearts and lives, brought us to belief, put us in the body of Christ, and sealed us there. What an incredible thing you have done. Today we get another glimpse of it. And I I truly ask, Lord, that we might stand in awe of these things. How amazing they are that you should love us this way, to this degree. It's a fascinating study. And I pray that our hearts will be uh, open and eager to hear what you have written here on this page. To understand it, to live it. Guide us through our study this morning, Lord, and challenge us thoroughly, we pray. Challenge us thoroughly with it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the fact that we have been foreknown by God, that's an amazing thing. Absolutely amazing. That means he knew you, even as Scripture says, before he made the earth. That goes back a little ways, doesn't it? But he knew you back then. And this plan that he has, the simple picture of it all, is that he chose you. He predestined you. He set up your boundaries of what you shall be before this world has even started to exist. And I love to bring that to your attention. It's a good reminder to me as well. It's simply this I did not earn that. Because I wasn't there to earn it. He did it. That's the beauty of grace. If you if you try to figure it out, sometimes it goes beyond our ability to follow through all the little avenues it takes us down. But one thing is great, is that it was God's plan before. And we see those words a lot, before. Before, before, before. And that's before we could influence Him at all. I like it. I like it so much. But we've talked about that. We've talked about predestined and all those glorious concepts there. I'm not going to walk down all those roads right now, but I will talk about the word conformed. Conformed is what he's doing. He is conforming you. You are in that process. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you are in that process right now. Do you realize that? Right now, you're being conformed. He's at work. Philippians says, it's God who's at work in you. I've said this before, but I think we ought to wear warning signs. I mean, construction has warning signs, right? And what's the warning for? There's people out there at work, and there's a dangerous situation here. You could get hurt. Well, maybe that's not what we'd say about salvation. But nevertheless, who's at work? God is. Where's he at work? In here. Now, you've seen what God can do. He's quite powerful, is he not? I think there should be warning signs. Maybe church t-shirts. We all wear it with flashing lights or something to let people know God's working right now. That's a good thing to remember for ourselves. God is at work. And so we go into this word conformed and we have to dig it out a little bit to understand it and see the beauty, beauty of it. It's got two words in it, actually, and the two words work very beautifully together. The first word is what we would say in the English or the Greek verse is soon. It's spelled S-U-M, and if that doesn't make sense, that's okay. Greek's like that for a lot of people. Uh, Soon is the concept of together, to bring it together. And the second word you're going to get, morphos. What word do we get from that? Oh, it's easy. Just take the os off, off the end. Morph. That, ooh, that sounds like some sort of a child television program or something. To morph, to, to the word morphe is the noun, to be in union, together, in change. The idea is adjustment of parts. Putting them in the right place. Shaping them to the right shape working on them to, to bring them to a
1: form
0: that is pre-designed. I have always been amazed at the uh, ability of an artist back in the 1500s who can take a giant slab of marble and start at the top and start chiseling away, chiseling away, chiseling away, until the most incredible life, Light statue stands before you of David or Moses. Maybe you've seen those pictures before in uh, in some um, art magazine or on the internet. Who knows? Michelangelo and his skill in working with those blocks of marble to turn them into something that actually, you stare long enough at the face of Moses, it almost scares you. The lifeless, the life look of that. That he's changing something, and in the process there's a lot of hammering, and there's a lot of chiseling, and there's a lot of time. So the end result is a masterpiece. I would suggest that God's a better artist than Michelangelo, and he's the one working on you. And more than that, he's not going to be surprised with the outcome. He knows exactly what you shall be. Here's the picture. He is doing this rearranging of parts. He's shaping the parts. He's forming as he goes. But he's doing it together with you. Now, that's an interesting thing. Uh, I would suggest that it's not just a passive thing that we just sit down and say, Okay, God. And we stand there and let him chip, 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 chip. Yes, he's doing that. But he has a design that we live in. God's word changes me. The more time I spend in that, the more it changes my heart and my mind, right? As I study God's Word, I read that uh, by putting it in my heart, I might not sin against Him. Does that change a person? Yes, it does. It's my light for the path so I can see. It's the direction that I need. It's the food that I must eat. It's my honey, as Scripture would say. It's my nourishment. It's my joy. It's my delight. Every moment spent in this book is a moment where God's chisels at work. Now, how likely are we going to learn from God's word if we never open it up? How likely are we going to benefit from this book if we don't ever read it? You see, when it says he works together, he knows your life. He knows the episodes of your life. He knows all the things because that's what we've been studying here for so many weeks, but especially verse number 28. What is outside of God's control? It says all things, right? God is at work in all things. He's working it together. And now He's, he's doing something else. He's morphing us together in the process. It's fascinating to see this. But it gets personal, doesn't it? That's what we're looking at here, a personal term. Let me make it even more personal. Because we read it here as he predestined us to be conformed. And and generally, if you're a person who understands grammar and such like that, maybe you hated that part of school. But uh, if you follow grammar, to be conformed, we usually think, ah, it's an infinitive. It's a verb, you know, that to be kind of thing. Uh, to eat, to live, to, you know, we use that in a verb sense. This is not a verb in the Greek. This is an adjective. Do you know what an adjective does? It describes you. This is literally this. He has predestined us as conformed ones. Now it gets real personal, doesn't it? He predestined us as conformed ones which suggests a couple of wonderful things to me. And that is, number one, we have an identity, folks. That's what the adjective is giving to us. It's giving us an identity. You are a conformed one. I like that. Secondly,
1: it also tells me when I
0: see uh, he's, he's predestined us as conformed ones, that means he's already figured out who we are. He's already set the boundaries, right? And the boundary says you're to be conformed, and so rather than just use it as a verb, as if well that's the activity of it all, he just gave you the title. That's what you wear. That's your title. You are a conformed one. And you say, but I'm not done yet. No, he's not done yet. But that doesn't erase the title, does it? You know you're called a saint. Oh, you like that, don't you? Got a halo? No? You don't have been having a marble statue yet, do you? No, Scripture calls you a saint. What is a saint? Somebody who's been set apart by God, sanctified by the by the Lord Himself. That's a saint, and Scripture calls us saints, because we have faith in Jesus Christ. Now, do you act like a saint? Oh, that's a different question. You're a conformed one. Do you act like a conformed one you see you wear the title and that's what I think is so marvelous about this because our entire study is your security as a believer and the security rests in that title today that's what he said you are he didn't say you will be he said you are conformed one Okay. does that help? I hope it helps. I hope it helps us get a better grasp of what is this process? Because sometimes we think, well, it depends on us. God's already said, this is what you are. And now he's bringing you up to that place. And he will not fail. He will not fail. You are a conformed one. And that's from God's own testimony here. Here's a couple of ways it's been defined over the years. Uh, I just told you he's predestined you as conformed ones. That's a little Greek. Uh, When William Tyndale wrote this for the first time in English for people to enjoy it, uh, he said that they should be like-fashioned, like-fashioned into the shape of his son. Interesting. Amplified to be molded. Into the image of his son. To be molded. Did you know you were moldy? Oh no. Moldable. Moldable. Sorry. He's molding you. That's the amplified version of that. To share inwardly his likeness.
1: Now I I
0: love this because. It puts in our understanding God's place. And God's authority in our life. I I want to start on this side of it first. I know how refreshing it sounds, and I love that. But let's go to what it speaks of. God is the the one who is doing this work. God needs the attention right here. We need to put the focus where it belongs. He's at work. All right? He's the subject of all these activities. So let's look at his place in all this. Let's look at his authority in all this. Keep your place here in Romans chapter eight, and just turn back to corinthians first corinthians it's not many pages away as you turn toward the back of your Bible. there are just a couple of pages first Corinthians chapter three, verse sixteen Sorry, Anthony, I should have said it quicker. He's uh, waiting to punch buttons as i'm holding out my verses uh three sixteen first Corinthians. do you not know that you? are a temple of God. Do you see any maybes in there? Do you see anything like, you might be, or I hope you will be, or someday you will be? You are a temple of God. Ooh, wait till you see the rest of this. And that the Spirit of God dwells in you, do you know that? The Holy Spirit lives in you right now as a believer in Christ. Is that true? Yes, it is. If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. Whoa, 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 whoa. All right. What is that? It's the idea of something that withers. All right? Something that withers. If you've got a plant and you don't like your plant, you're not going to water it. Now, maybe you forgot. Maybe it's not that you don't like it. But if you really don't like it, you're going to stop watering it, right? You're going to say, I'm going to kill that thing. It it doesn't take long for it to show, right? The leaves start to flop over a little bit. And then it starts to turn different colors. And it slowly starts to to collapse in the pot. And then you've got a pretty ugly-looking thing over there in the the room. And you get rid of it. it. You've caused it to wither. You have withheld the nutrients. You've withheld the the things that it needed in order to grow and be healthy. You have caused it to wither. It's an interesting thing. But we do that sometimes in our Christian life, don't we? We're given something so beautiful, so glorious, our Christian life, and then we treat it like we're not going to feed it. We're not going to take care of it. And if only we had the eyes to see, I, I don't know if we'd want to, but if suddenly we were all turned into plants to represent our Christian uh, vitality right now, what would you look like? Would you like that? Would we look like a bunch of pots of wilted leaves? Some glob some there that used to be a healthy plant. But we haven't been nourishing that life. We haven't been taking care of that life. We have neglected it. As a result of that, God let us, let to go down that road. You say, ooh, why? Well, he's in charge. He's in charge. But it's so often in the physical realm God gives you over to that thing that you're craving. Romans chapter 1 is strong that way. And what Paul is doing here is giving a nice warning for us, isn't it? It's a very big concern right now where if you destroy that temple, if you leave that temple dirty, for example, God doesn't feel like he needs to go in there and sweep up after you. You see? Sometimes you say, okay, if if you trash up your house, who's going to volunteer to come over and clean it for you? You are a temple of God. Out of that alone, we should have great respect for what he's doing in our heart and life. We ought to look at that as a precious thing, a priceless thing, a thing to nourish and help cause it to grow and be beautiful as it could be. And if you neglect it, he lets it be neglected. And that's sad, I know. But keep reading the words. Keep reading the words. He's not done here. For the temple of God is holy, verse 17 says, and that is what you are. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, the one who catches the wise in their craftiness, and again, the Lord knows the reasoning of the wise, that they are useless, so let no one boast in men. For all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All things belong to you, and you belong to Christ. Did you hear it? You belong to Christ. And Christ belongs to God. In chapter 6 of the same book, verse 19 and 20, Paul makes the argument again. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. Why did he keep saying this to the Corinthians? Because they were very immature. They were very man-centered. They thought of themselves and their own gratifications, and they lived sinful lives. And Paul wrote to these people and he didn't say, You know, I just can't stand you people. That's not the first verse. He says, you are saints. Live like it. Our passage in Romans. You are conformed ones. Live like it. There's God's place in that. There's God's authority in that. That's what we've been called to do. Romans will add this in the study, chapter number 9. Um Do you not know that the potter has a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? When we say that verse, we go back to several other verses. In Isaiah, for example, 49, or 45, verse 9. Woe to those who quarrel with his maker, An earthenware vessel among the vessels of earth. Will the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? Or the thing that is you are making say he has no hands in Isaiah 64 verse number 8 but now Lord you are our father we are the clay you are our potter and all of us all of us are the works of your hand so when we read that passage and we see the phrase potter and we see the word clay which are we we're the clay aren't we always we see it come out that way with the clay. Let me tell you something simple about this. God is very good with clay. That's one of his specialties. He takes dust and look what he's made. That's his place. That's his authority. That's his capability. That's his 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 masterful design and his beautiful display. He has authority over who we are. He has authority over what we are. He has authority over what we do. He has authority over our purpose. He has authority over our destiny. He has the authority over what shape we take. Now, I say that strongly, I know. But that's exactly what it says when it says we're just the conformed ones. He's the conformer. He's doing the work. It's His place to shape us to be like Christ. That's what he's doing. <laughs> I want to ask you, what is our response? What should we do in light of that kind of information? There are those who resist it. Why? Because they want to do it their way. They start singing Frank Sinatra songs or something. I did it my way, right? I. This is what some people say. This is my life. I will live it like I want to live it. And they, they steer a course of that nature. Do they realize who God is? Do they understand what He's done? Do they know that God does everything for you and me out of His grace and out of His love and out of His holiness and out of His purpose? Do you know this same God wants you to live with Him forever and ever? Doesn't that impress us to stop and think about it? I don't mind the conforming process when I think of what he's doing and where he's going to take me. But some people will resist it because they get into their own pride in their own way and they want to stand firm on their own planet and do their own thing. I think we have two options. We can resist, and I hope that's not us, but we can submit. Some people don't like that word. They don't like that word because when you submit, you submit... All of it. Fact is this though. Are you ready? Here's the fact. He has already predestined you to what you're going to be conformed to. He has already done it. He's not waiting to see your response as to whether or not it will be accomplished. He's already says it is. So, are we going kicking and screaming? Or are we going to enjoy His graceful way of shaping us? That's the work He's doing with us. That's an amazing thing to try to fathom in our minds. This is what He's doing. I have tried, over the last couple of weeks, to put down in a thought what this looked like. For somebody to resist God's conforming work, What does that look like? What kind of illustration could I possibly give to help you understand this? And and really I'm puzzled with it because the concept goes like this. I cannot see how a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ who loves Him, who truly appreciates salvation and forgiveness and mercy and grace and love And all those things He's given to them. He's given to us our peace and He's given to us our hope. And we like all that, don't we? And we want all that, don't we? How then could they not want to be like Christ? That's the question I've had for the last couple of weeks when I thought this through. He's conforming us, if you read the rest of the verse, to the image of His Son. And you say, well, I love salvation, and I love this, and I love that, but I don't know about that being like Christ's thing. I don't understand a person who wants everything but Christ. Personally, I would be suspect of their salvation. Because that's what it's all about. It's about Christ, is it not? It's about Jesus Christ. And that's what God's conforming us to. He's not conforming us to be a good person, just a good person. He's not conforming us to be some great athlete. He's not conforming us to be, you know, the most intelligent person on earth or the guy who's memorized all of God's Word and can quote it and win every contest out there. He's not conforming us to anything but Christ and every characteristic of Christ being revealed in and through us. And that is an awesome thing. And I don't want to come short of one inch of that, folks. If that's what he's going to conform me to be, I want that to be just what he's planned. I want to show you some person who really wanted that in a strong way. It's in Philippians chapter number three. And you know his name? The author of the book. His name is Paul. I want to see, I want to show you his words concerning this very thought of Jesus Christ. He says in, in this passage, verse number 7, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. That I may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His suffering, being conformed to His death in order that I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul was in with both feet. He didn't stand on the side and say, well, I'll take that much of this whole Christian thing, and and that other part looks a little uncomfortable to me. He didn't say, I want to be kind of like Christ. I want to just know enough of Christ. He says, I want to know Him, and I want to be conformed to who He is. That's a powerful passage. That's an incredible passage. Because in that, we have to understand, you are a conformed one. This isn't a question mark for us this morning. I'm not going to ask you, Dov, do you want to be a conformed one today? That's not the application. All right? Just so you know. I'm not going to ask you, all right, get started being conformed. I'm not going to say that either. I'm going to say, recognize who you are. That's his plan at work. It's already established. It's already in progress. It's already determined what you shall be. That's his plan. You wear that name, conformed one, today. You wear that name. Now, if I just convince you of that much, will that change maybe something this next week in your life? Will that change maybe a, a behavior or a habit? Will that change something that you typically do when you stop and think, but I'm a conformed one? It I? Will that change your attitude perhaps? The way you respond to certain things? Am I? To stop and reflect upon it as, not as that which is keeping me bound, but it set me free. To be who I am. I don't have to figure out how to conform (laughs) myself. He did it! I am conformed one. He did that. That's my security, folks. It's not based on me. I live out of His grace and what He's done. I said that before you today. And that takes something to, you have to stop and let it soak in, don't you? Just let it soak in there. Use those phrases several times this week. Ask yourself, what does it mean for me to be a conformed one? What is that in application in my life right now? I'm a conformed one. That's what God said. That's where I want to leave you today. We didn't get to image at all, did we? Wow. It's just so deep. It's just so magnificent. I love it. I love it. And I've got great notes. Look at all these. Wow, they're fun. Next week, we'll talk about your image, too. What you're going to be. Heavenly Father, how good you are to us. How very kind, how very loving, how very gracious you are to us. How very merciful you've been to us. We relish those things. When it gets so personal and we understand that you are at work in our life, even right now, we are amazed. But it's nice It's nice to wear a title today as a conformed one. It's nice to know that we rest securely in your plan. And it's not based on what we've done or what we will do. It's based on you who will see it to the end. You who began the good work in us, you will complete it. And we thank you, Lord, for that. I pray, Lord, that this might be a, a fascinating week for us. One that is significantly different because of our understanding of what you're doing. You know us well. You know this congregation well. We desire to know you. To understand our Savior. To be like Him. To live like Him. Our community needs that. Our county needs that. Our state needs that. We can be those people because you've made us so. This could be a very significant week before us, Lord. In whatever arena we end up in, whatever environment it is around us, whoever it is that has contact with us, I pray, Lord, I pray that they can see Christ in us as we're conformed to him. Thank you so much for your work. We ask that it now be applied to us in a very practical way as we go about rejoicing in what you have done. In Jesus' name, amen.